You're listening to the Beside the Badge podcast with your host, Paul Bunker, veteran chaplain and friend to law enforcement. Hey, sheepdogs, welcome back to yet another episode of Beside the Badge. Today, we're going to tackle a deep topic, um, basically dealing with survivor's guilt and PTSD. And I'm not a, a certified counselor. I've talked to a lot of people who are. I've talked to a lot of people who have dealt with some pretty terrible things. And I myself have had some pretty interesting things happen in life. So these are very, very real things that law enforcement deals with. And to be fair, it's things that people deal with outside of the badge, people in everyday life. Um, post-traumatic stress, survivor's guilt, these are things that people deal with all over the place in, you know, in and out of the military, uh, people who survive a car wreck, all kinds of different things. But then at the same time, you also have that inside of, you know, behind the badge. So really quickly, before I get too far into this, I want to talk about the fact that behind me, for those of you who are watching the video version of my podcast, you'll notice that one of the pictures has changed. I have a, a photograph back there that's framed, and uh, it was a picture of a uh, of a bridge, a stone bridge, back from the WPA days uh, before World War II, and uh, that I had found in a in a nearby city and photographed, and just absolutely loved it. It was the very first picture I have ever framed. That said, I have decided that going into 2021, the, the recording and airing of this episode is December of 2020, I intend to take one photograph a month that I've taken and have it, um, I'm going to send off and have it framed, uh, kind of a wraparound vinyl frame and put it on a wall. We have kind of a reading room area in our house and the walls are a little bare right there. And it gives me an opportunity to put something up that I enjoy. So I'm going to give you a little freebie here, something that I dearly love, which is um, we all have moments when we're down, we're frustrated, uh, even depressed about something. And being able to look back at past successes is very useful. I talked in, in a recent podcast about the fact that when I paid off one of my cars, I actually framed the receipt I got saying that I had paid it off. It hangs where I do my workouts and I can see it every time I work out as a reminder that I'm one step closer to being out of debt. If you want to hear more about that, that's back in our episode talking about the three big marriage killers. Excellent excellent topic. I've actually received some really cool feedback about that episode. So coming back, if you don't know me, my name is Paul Buckner. I am a civilian police chaplain in the central United States. I work with a lot of small departments and there's officers that see terrible things. They need somebody to talk to. Uh, they need a friend. Um, I go out to dinner. I do ride-alongs. I've helped officers move. I've been there for their weddings, their funerals, when their kids were born. Um, and I love to watch officers level up with their careers, change directions slightly. There's a lot of officers out there that I have had the honor of getting to know. And so one of the things that just like so many other realities of law enforcement that people don't realize is there is a lot of post-traumatic stress. We associate that with military. That's something that happens all over the place. Again, like I said earlier, and then also a feeling of survivor's guilt. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my background. And there's not a lot of people that really know that even, even some officers that I chaplain won't know. Uh, these stories. So some of you that that know me personally are going to be leaning in a little closer, or maybe turning up the the microphone, or or turning up the speakers rather on your on your uh, phone or your laptop or whatever you're listening on. But <clears throat> some of you won't know this. Um, I was born into a, a poor family, and one day I'll talk about that at length about where God's brought me from and and what He's taken me to, things He's had me overcome. 
but um, I was the second oldest of five kids. So I had an older sister and then I had um, a, then myself and then three younger sisters. And so um, when I was in first grade, um, one of my sisters took ill very, very suddenly. And we're talking in the early eighties and she, uh, she took ill very, very suddenly. And we found out like less than 24 hours before she passed that she had acute leukemia and there was literally nothing that could be done. She was gone like that. And that was my first introduction to death. In another episode, I will talk about grief and, uh, and forgiveness and what that looks like. But in this episode, we're concentrating on uh, feelings of survivor's guilt and post-traumatic stress. And so I didn't realize at that time in my life how much of an impact that would have on me. Uh, great parents. They talked to us a lot. We had access to, to um, uh, pastors for counseling and that sort of thing. Had great conversations with people who were very kind and understanding and loving. But you can get some weird things in your head, especially when you're a kid. I think that's a lifelong thing if we're not careful but suddenly losing one sister. And it was just out of the blue. Now to back the story up, my older sister was severely handicapped. She had been uh, born um, before me. I'm a, a child of the 70s. She'd been born four years before me. And back then a lot of doctors were using um, uh, implements. I believe they called them forceps. They, they would pull a child like a calf. And when they would grab this kid by the back of the neck and pull the child out to, to speed up the birthing process, um, children's bodies are quite pliable and they were actually doing in some cases, severe nerve damage to children. And, um, my sister was one of them and she ended up with, uh, cerebral palsy and, um, massive nerve damage in her neck. Her, basically her nerves in her neck would short circuit. Um, she fought her entire life and it was just a very tough go for her. It's one of those things that happens through no doing of my parents. It wasn't that they abused drugs or alcohol when she was in the womb. It was, it was someone else entirely that caused this. And at that time, due to a broken theory in medicine, and we still see these things today. So that was a tough one. But before I was even born, my parents had a handicapped child. And then when I, and, and back then, by the way, they didn't know immediately. The medical records were not available to parents automatically. There were laws that were passed later to make that something that parents could go get. And unfortunately, the hospital knew from day one. So this is one of those things that mistrust, distrust of uh, people in the, in the medical world would be easy to develop uh, and understandable to develop. And then, um, so now going back, I have an older sister who's severely handicapped. And all, all of my life, I was about four years younger than her, um, up through the time I lost my younger sister and then on to ultimately losing my older sister, um, uh, totally unrelated situations. One was a fluke, uh, incident with acute leukemia and another being, uh, complications of, of a lifelong struggle she had with cerebral palsy. A lot of people who have severe uh, cerebral palsy, they don't live uh, long lives. There's actually a guy who works at a at a uh, lumber yard near me that has pretty severe um, cerebral palsy, but he is uh, very productive and a lot of fun to talk to. And I, I looked at the way he moved and started talking to him. And I told him, I said, I had an older sister who had cerebral palsy. And he goes, I do. And I said, I, I kind of thought so. So you have to understand, going back, there were five of us and then suddenly... Uh, in the early 80s, there's four. And then, um, and, and all of us were pretty close together. It was my sister being about four years older than me, then myself, then one two years younger, then one three years after that, and then one a little over around about a year after that. 
And so, uh, funny how those things work, but close knit family, very poor. Um, and, and a lot of love. We, we very much close and, and loved each other. Well, um, <clears throat> I had always expected my older sister to pass and she had gone through such a rough life. And so during my childhood, um, we, we basically the, us younger kids, we all had to sleep in the same room. And my older sister in the middle of the night, because of not being able to get up and she had a tendency to develop pneumonia and breathing complications, she actually would stop breathing. And this is today, this would be one of these things where she would probably have some form of 24 hour care. And my parents became full-time caregivers. My mom with my sister almost all the time, my dad going to work and coming home and helping. And so it was a huge challenge. And you're talking about there were vacations you couldn't take. There were trips they couldn't take together. There were date nights they couldn't do. Um, not a lot of people want to sign up to babysit your kid when your kid has very, very special needs and might actually die. So anyone who has a child with special needs understands this. And so it's kind of hard to sneak away for a romantic weekend or your birthday dinner or just a date night out. And so my parents went, <clears throat> um, over 20 years, I would say without, uh, you know, without a personal private date night, that's tough. It's tough on a marriage. Um, they did well with it. I, I wouldn't have known the difference as a kid, but they did very well with it. But that's building the background to what we're talking about. So to me, this was normal. And this is one of the things that, that we have to understand about the way someone grows up. There's people that grow up with horrible situations. And thankfully, there was no abuse in our family. But people grow up in certain environments, and to them, that is normal. I have a friend that one of his good friends started dating a young lady in college. And whenever she got angry with my friend's friend, her boyfriend, she would start throwing things and screaming. And he got her to start talking to people about the fact that this was not normal behavior. She's like, yes, it is. It's what parents do when they get mad at each other. And he's like, no, it's not what couples do, you know? And so she was able to realize that that was not the norm and able to get counseling. So moving back to the specifics of our topic today, we are talking about survival's, survivor's guilt and post-traumatic stress. And these are, to, to build up to, to where I'm going with my own personal experience, my sister would sometimes stop breathing. And I got myself sidetracked there for a moment, but I think it's pertinent details to understanding the background. So she would stop breathing and it happened so many times during my childhood that I would remain unconscious asleep, but I would yell out in my sleep, mom, dad, Christine, stop breathing again. My older sister's name being Christine. And my, my parents were doing CPR and different things back when very few people knew CPR outside of the ready, regular medical field. And so they were full-time caregivers. My parents had to learn a lot of things that the average parent didn't have to learn. And again, if you are the, the parents or the sibling of someone who has um, special needs, you completely get that. You're like, absolutely. There's a lot of things you do. And so my parents would come in and resuscitate my sister. And it had happened so many times that as a self-defense mechanism, I would stay asleep so that I could get a full night's sleep. And um, I didn't realize that this wasn't normal, that you didn't have this relationship with your siblings and, and letting your parents know that your sister had stopped breathing. And I've always been a light sleeper. It's only been later in life that I have actually been a heavier sleeper than I was as a kid. And so my sister, the nerves in her neck would short circuit so badly at times that she couldn't function like, like, like screaming in pain. 
And it was it was one of these things where the screams would go right through you. And my parents learned different techniques from doctors where you could massage and rub certain muscles around her neck and shoulders and actually help to relax the pain. Um, heavy pain medication, which was destroying her, would have been destroying her liver and, and uh, kidneys and that sort of thing. Um, it, it just, it was one of these things that it was, it was not the effective thing that we needed it to be. You don't want to be on this stuff forever. And it was really a tough childhood for her. So that she couldn't walk, she couldn't run. She spent most of her life laying down. And um, at one point, my parents had actually, when she was uh, very young, before I was born or around about the time I was born, my parents actually had her walking. And some people came along um, on the physical therapy side, which is not the physical therapy field that it is today. And they told my parents, oh, we know what we're doing. Let us take over. And unfortunately, they, my parents had my sister walking and they ended up reversing things and messing up so badly my sister never walked again. And so talk about the feelings of frustration and heartache that a parent has. They see a full-on reversal in their daughter's life. So when I was 11, my sister ended up getting pneumonia and it wasn't a shock. It wasn't a surprise. Well, then very suddenly because of her weakened immune system and her, um, and I mean, obviously, she, you know, adrenals and everything are shot. She's just having a tough go with life. Um, she ended up with the flu and it took her in her sleep. And I had expected, I had fully expected her to pass at some point. I mean, I had been in and out of what we used to call CP centers, uh, several palsy centers as a kid, which you don't really see those anymore. They were, there were quite a few of them out there. And you had people where we were starting to see autism. You saw um, a fair amount of Down syndrome. You saw some fetal alcohol and other drug related things and uh, spina bifida, um, which is definitely affecting the body more than anything else. And then you saw kids with cerebral palsy and it being related to how they were pulled like cattle, pulled like calves. And so you don't see that anymore because they changed that. Cerebral palsy is just not the thing that it used to be. But I remember seeing all these different kids in various states of health, some of them who could talk plainly or they could, or they could talk some, kids that had seizures. Um, many, many times I saw my sister have seizures and my parents would work with her and, and hold her and, and, and help her come out of it. And I saw that numerous times with my sister and I saw it many times with, with perfect strangers, children. And it, I think in a very good way, it helped shape me as a protector. It helped shape me as someone who cares about people who have been hurt. Um, in another episode, we'll talk about a severe injury I received. And we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit in this as it pertains to survivor's guilt and PTSD. But um, when I was 15, I was actually busted up in a severe car accident. And I broke my fifth or my fourth lumbar, had to have surgery on my small intestine. And that was not a happy situation. And I watched a man die. Um, he was dead within an hour of the accident. And I probably saw the last expression his face would ever hold. So at 15 years old, I basically watched a man die. And uh, on that happy note, we'll take a quick sponsor break. And then we'll come back and start talking about uh, what what uh, survivors get looks like, what it can feel like, and, and ways of coping with it, realizing what it is for what it is. So let's take a quick sponsor break. Uh, let's talk about gentle response. Let's talk about John Leo Riley. Let's talk about how de-escalation is the ticket. It's one more tool in the belt, and it's one that you'll use 90% more than you'll use anything else. Um, there are no forms to fill out for, you know, use of force if you don't use force. And being able to de-escalate people, anybody in and around law enforcement knows uh, that being able to talk yourself out of a situation is better than having to fight. But 
there are still going to be times that you have to go hands-on. And a great way to learn to do de-escalation well and not freak out and lock up in the moment is with hands-on training in an environment that gets the adrenaline up. And this is what John Lee O'Reilly brings to the table with his de-escalation training. Uh, so this is Gentle Response. Check them out. Facebook, YouTube, etc. John's a friend, good guy, great to learn from. Number two, Got Your Six Coffee. I'm sitting here with my gorgeous Got Your Six Coffee mug coffee sip break. And I am, if you're watching this, you're going to see this. I am a founding member. I love their coffee. I love their mission. Was actually on the phone with the founder this morning, talking to him about some of the direction of his company. Excited to see where God is taking it. Check out Got Your Six Coffee. Every time you drink a cup of Got Your Six Coffee, you are changing the life of a policeman, a firefighter, a paramedic, an EMT, or a veteran. So thank you in advance for drinking their coffee. They're one of our sponsors, followed by my buddy Matt Combs with Shield Force International, um, executive protection training, knife defense, surviving the ambush, any number of law enforcement specific trainings that you can think of, have training, will travel. My buddy Matt Combs, top shelf training for law enforcement and beyond. And then coming back to our topic at hand, talking about uh, post-traumatic stress and specifically survivor's guilt. So at what? I don't know, six, seven years old, I lose my first sister. At um, 11, I lose my second sister. And um, then when I was 15, I broke my back in a car accident. And so I've definitely dealt with a lot of emotional pain, a lot of physical pain. And I had really begun to wonder um, things that I didn't even dare voice out loud, like, what is it? Does God have something against my family? And, you know, whether you believe in God or you want to blame the universe or chance, um, I can't imagine how heartbreaking it would be to not to not believe in a higher power. That to me would be extremely depressing. But as a kid, I looked around and I'm like, is there something that God has against my family? And you you make these weird things up in your mind. You come to these conclusions. And I would pray. I'm like, Lord, just take me. If if anybody else has to go, just take me. That's it. It sounds completely irrational, but that's where I was at at the time. And I did not realize that there was post-traumatic stress after that car accident. Um, when we got out of the hospital, I was in the hospital for a week and, uh, had learned to walk again. I'd been given a 50, 50, I would never walk lots of post-traumatic stress there. And I just leaned on the Lord and said, you know, Lord, you, you didn't bring me this far to abandon me. That's one of my life, my life sayings. God didn't bring me this far to abandon me. So I'm like, Lord, I don't know what you want from me or for me, but I would like to walk again. And if I can't walk again, I'll do everything in my power to be the person you want me to be from a wheelchair. And then I began to look back and realize, you know, if my older sister had still been alive when we had this accident, when I was 15, she would have been 19. And it, it, it's very hard to restrain that kind of a chair, that kind of a big, flat, non-standard wheelchair inside of a van or something. And all these amazing vans that we have today where people can drive themselves, even though they're in a wheelchair, that stuff didn't exist. And if it did, in, in the rare instances that something did kind of exist, it was all custom built and it was insanely expensive. A lot of times people built it themselves and, and built it for a loved one. Had my sister been laying there in her wheelchair and and I, at 15, in great health, her behind me in that chair, it probably would have broken her body terribly. She did not have the strength. A lot of, a lot of what protects our bodies is the muscle that we have. She didn't have that going on. 
it would have been a terrible thing. And it, it busted up my mom, who was in the front seat. Um, she has had lifelong, life-altering injuries from it. And it, it hurt the other three of us that were in the vehicle. And I can't, my dad was at work, thankfully, because he had to help take care of us when we got out of the hospital. And I remember driving away from the hospital, we were driving around, um, and there was a hospital in Rogers, Arkansas. And I remember driving or being in the, in the back of a vehicle and a, um, a trash truck had lifted up a dumpster and was banging the dumpster to empty it. And, um, I remember jerking in the vehicle, ow, 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 you know, tensing up and jerking because my body was like, no, not again, no, not again, because my body remembered the rending, tearing, squealing sound of metal breaking. She remembered that. And my, she remembered that. My body remembered that. And, and here I was going through this situation that was truly terrible in, you know, hurting and, and, and healing and wearing a brace and on crutches. And I spent four months on crutches and, just the thought of that car accident was was intense. And of course, everybody wanted to hear the story and all these things. And I didn't remember that there was post-traumatic stress involved in that. I didn't realize it. I didn't know what that was. And then even more so, uh, fast forward, um, I was married and uh, married to my first wife. And uh, she didn't believe in the longevity of marriage the way that I do. I've been blessed to be married to an adult who uh, is as of right now, we've been married over 17 years and she's as much a believer in marriage as I am. And we have worked through our differences and figured them out. And, uh, but I was married to a young lady and, and dearly loved her, but we had a son together and I did not realize that I had just sort of deflected a lot of emotion until my son was born and he was crying. Like you had to wake up in the middle of the night with him crying and I was having these almost like flashbacks that were taking me back to my childhood with my, with my handicapped sister's severe disabilities. And um, we had gotten kind of a scary wake up call during my son's pregnancy um, where uh, we were told that his mom was losing some, some um, I believe it was fluid around the placenta. Some actual placenta was being lost and, uh, and similar. And there was some concerns for him. And I, I went through kind of a crisis moment and a kind of a crisis of faith and, and realizing that I didn't have a, a phrase for it because we didn't talk about PTSD back then, the post-traumatic stress that we do now. And, and, and I realized once he was born and he was crying, I had to come to grips with the fact that this was a good cry. And I, I remember sitting in church or sitting at a, a school event or something, being in the movie theater and a baby would cry and it would kind of go through me a little, but then it was my son and it really bothered me and I could not figure out why. And, and over time with prayer and a lot of reflection, because it would literally go through me, like my body would tense up and it would, I began to realize without having a phrase for it, that this was post-traumatic stress. And I began to realize this is a good cry. And a lot of dealing with post-traumatic stress is this happened to me. It will not define me. And we either... We either forgive the circumstances, ourselves, someone else, God, whatever it is that we are holding this grudge against, we forgive the circumstances or like I said, God or whatever. And for me, a lot of it was just coming to grips with the fact that this is a good cry. This is the cry of a happy, healthy baby that has nothing wrong with him. That's, that's beautiful and perfect. This is normal tears. This is the normal cry of a baby that needs changed or woke up from a nightmare or 
excuse me, that needs fed. That was me beginning to understand what those things were and coming face to face with that. And I didn't realize until I was probably 20, 21, that, that I had had this feeling of survivor's guilt. Why did I survive? Why, why did God choose to allow my younger sister to pass away, but not me? Why did God choose to have my older sister pass away and not me? And I went on, I've lost every grandparent, which I mean, it's not surprising. I mean, our, our, our grandparents are going to be quite a bit older than us. I've lost every grandparent uh, and a step-grandparent over 10 years ago now, or around about 10 years ago, the last of them passed. And I've lost numerous aunts and uncles. And unfortunately, three or four really, really good friends that have passed away to dad young young. And the end of this month, and that's probably why this came to mind to do this now, the end of this month will mark the two-year anniversary of losing uh, my pastor and, and arguably one of my best friends. Um, you know, he was definitely one of my closest friends of 21 years. Um, he passed away while driving down the road, and um, and there were a lot of circumstances involved in that. And um, that's something that I'll talk about more in the episode about grieving and forgiveness. But I've lost a lot of people. And that's a that can be a very sobering situation to find yourself in. And we have to be able to come to grips with the fact that this happened to me. It won't define me. And if there's forgiveness that needs to be asked for or 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 given, do so. Do, don't be trapped by these circumstances. And I began to change the way I processed the crying. And I'd get up with my son in the middle of the night and feed him and and do different things and and realize that somewhere deep in my subconscious, I really didn't want to raise a handicapped child because I'd seen how much my parents had struggled. And I'm thankful that God did not choose that path for me. Um, had he done so, then then I would have I would have done what I needed to do and he would have given me strength. But dealing with that and realizing how deeply and indelibly it had marked me and then beginning to work my way back out of it. I think this has bearing in several ways for law enforcement because circumstances are going to mark your life as law enforcement. And there's going to be feelings at times of survivor's guilt. There were two of us responding to the call. The one guy hit a deer and flew off into the ditch and he's had a career ending injury or, or he didn't make it. Um, there was a shootout and my partner is dead. I can't believe she's dead. Why am I not dead? And, you know, why did God choose to leave me alive? And then post-traumatic stress being, um, sometimes a smell will bring things back. A sound will bring things back. And for me, it was all these years later that I had, I had just sort of tucked this stuff up neatly and put it in a, a drawer of my mind and didn't realize that I had not actually dealt with it. And if we're not careful, the way that we'll respond in, in a lot of circumstances, and this was something that my pastor friend taught me years before he passed away, is we will remain as emotionally mature about that topic, um, an accident, a molestation, um, a parent that abused us, verbal and, and mental abuse, um, somebody telling us that we're stupid. If we're not careful, all of those things will will be things that can hold us back and haunt us. It's like literally having a, a chain wrapped around our ankle and locked on, a ball and chain. We're dragging this thing around with us. And for me, and I think this has bearing for law enforcement as well, um, we law enforcement needs to be able to go home and enjoy their family. And law enforcement sees all these terrible things out there in the world. And then to be able to come home and be like, but that's the cry 
of a happy, healthy baby. But that's the the sound a a child who hasn't been abused makes. That's the that's the the silly little disputes and arguments that children have in happy homes because they don't know what it's like to be neglected, to not eat, to be abused, to be to be around drugs and alcohol from a young age, and even even given drugs and alcohol from a young age. Um, those I think are very important things. It comes down to mindset and being able to let things go. So I, I liken this to having something that's broken. Imagine that this ink pen that I'm holding up, if you're watching this episode instead of listening, imagine that this ink pen is a piece of broken glass and you're, it's hurting you. So you're squeezing it more because it's hurting you and you're going to squeeze it even harder because it's hurting you and, uh, and it's cutting you. And being able to let go of trauma and begin the healing process, we are a prisoner. And this is where forgiveness comes in and, and realizing what things are um, is important. And survivor's guilt is, why did I live and they not live? Why did why did I not have the career ending injury and they did? And what I will tell you is, because this is something the Lord's given me a lot of peace with, um, King David was, a, if you're not familiar with him, in the Old Testament, he was a king who was one of the ancestors of Christ. And he was he was a king who God said he was a man after God's own heart, an imperfect man, but definitely a man after God's own heart. And he needed godly parents to become the man that he was that took care of him and loved on him. He needed godly grandparents. And if you look back at the lives of certain people, there was a man named Boaz who married a woman named Ruth. She was a widow and he fell in love with her and married her and took care of her. And he was a godly man who ended up with a godly wife and they had they had children that they raised to love the Lord in an environment that they weren't abused and beaten and and given drugs and and all these things and they ended up raising parents who became the parents their children rather who became the parents of King David you never know who your child is meant to be you never know who you are going to influence and God knew that this person's time on earth was done but God knew that he had a plan for you. And there's a saying, I heard it from um, uh, Jared Reston. Uh, he's a police officer out of Florida. I heard him talking about this. Um, I, uh, I attended virtually the Protector Symposium 2.0, and I heard him talking about that, this. I can't remember if he was talking about it in the 2.0 version, uh, it's Byron Rogers Protector Symposium, or if he was talking about it in the first one, but I got it as a bundle and got to watch the whole thing. So what's fascinating to me is he makes a comment. He says, don't let them beat you from, from beyond the grave. And this is so powerful. If you're a veteran, if you're law enforcement, and maybe there was a situation where you had to take a life, and this can be a type of survivor's guilt. I'm alive, and I'm not this perfect person, and this person who tried to take my life is gone. And we have to realize God still has a plan for us. We are meant to be here for a reason. We still have children to raise. Um, we need to be that influence at work, in our personal life. Maybe our spouse needs this thing that only we can be there to give. And I can tell you that the loss of someone, this is where suicide is such a, a terrible, awful, destructive thing. People people that take their life, they, they, they carve out this enormous hole in the lives of the people around them. It actually makes it more likely that other people that that they knew are going to kill themselves. And I like it to stomping on a cow pie when cow poop, it just shoots it everywhere. Now everybody's dealing with pain rather than us stepping up and saying, no, I'm going to get the help I need. I'm not going to put my family and friends through this. 
And we all have crises of faith, wondering what's tomorrow going to look like? Why am I here? What should I do with myself? Everybody experiences these. And if we're not careful, um, we can get very down and depressed. And as much as I believe in God, I believe in the devil. And I believe he's here to steal, to kill and destroy. He wants to steal our joy. He wants to, to kill our lives. And, and he wants to ultimately be part of the destruction of our soul. I absolutely believe that. I've seen people tormented in situations and by having friendships, a relationship with the Lord, the right kinds of counseling, they've been able to come through the other side. So where am I going with all this? So we've talked about losing siblings. We've talked about survivor's guilt. Why am I still here? And then post-traumatic stress, realizing what a situation is and realizing um, if you're home from the war and you're dealing with post-traumatic stress and you're like, um, thankfully, no one's planting IEDs in the road here. Um, Thankfully, um, there are not snipers hiding behind every rock. Um, these are good things. Um, I have friends in law enforcement who have been attacked and deal with post-traumatic stress. And you can end up, your body can end up uh, putting you into situations where you become hyper-aware, hyper-vigilant. It's happened to me. It's happened to, um, it's happened to friends of mine where a smell, a sound will take them back to a deadly fight a gunfight or a, a battle overseas or, or a fight for their life right here happened to a friend of mine this year. And it's very real. We can have nightmares from it. Um, I've been jumped several times in my life. And when I was a boy, I had a, a relative. It wasn't a sibling, but I had a relative that liked to use me for a punching bag. And it had more of an indelible imprint on me than I thought it did. And I dealt with a lot of things that I had to give to the Lord, a lot of forgiveness and a lot of realizing that that God is in control and he can use anything. And it made me, um, instead of making me a bully, like some people who are bullied end up becoming bullies, it helped me to realize I want to be a protector but not take it too far. And you know, not be this person that's actually dangerous because they're actually going around constantly, constantly in this mindset that they have to, they have to protect in a situation. Post-traumatic stress is a very real thing. And it can, it can make us or it can break us in the sense that we can say, you know what, this happened to me but I'm not going to let it define me. This, this is a thing that occurred, but it's not going to dominate the rest of my life. It's not going to control me. I'm not going to let this, this sexual assault, I'm not going to let this beating, I'm not going to let this whatever thing happen across the spectrum. Um, I can't pretend to understand what happens in a sexual assault to the human psyche, um, but I know people who've experienced it and have overcome it and looked at things coming back from the other side of it going, this happened to me, but it will not define me. And, or we can let these things destroy us. Um, I knew a guy who way up in age um, became dangerous and I was talking to him. He was like family to me and he had been severely beaten on as a child. And instead of being able to reconcile and forgive and move on and realize that he, um, that he, could live a full life in spite of this, um, he got dangerous and he was he was walking in a store and there was a mother scolding her child. Now, I don't mean hands-on, I just mean scolding her child. I've talked about this before. And I can't remember if I talked about this on a podcast, but I've talked about it many many a time in the front seat of a cop car, uh, riding around with officers, and because they, they see terrible things. And I said, you know, or to, this gentleman had actually confronted this lady rather when she was uh, scolding her child and he's like don't you dare touch this child he's like i'll break you i'll snap you like a twig if you ever touch this child don't let me ever catch you beating this child to a woman he didn't even know and i i told him i said called him by his name and i said i, I love you but you're gonna get killed in a store by a soccer mom you're gonna come up to the wrong lady 
you're physically bigger than her. You're still stronger than her. You're, you're, you're ex-military. And you've not dealt with these things from when you were a very small child. And you're dangerous. Some lady may literally take a step back, terrified of you, and literally be justified to defend herself with lethal force. Excuse me. <coughs> he did not like that, but I said it to him in love. Um, I stopped and helped a gal one time on the side of the road and um, she would run out of gas, um, small town kind of environment, didn't know her. Um, I don't think that town has more than about 25,000 people in it. The small towns I'm from are like in the hundreds, like 300, 900, 3,000 people, that kind of thing. And I offered to give her a lift to her work. It was just down the street. I did so, uh, brought her back and was helping her put fuel into her vehicle and a lady pulled up and, and basically threatened to kill me and was screaming at this gal, get away from him, he's gonna rape you and kill you. And obviously, heartbreakingly, something terrible had happened to this lady, but she had become dangerous. Um, I likened her to Dirty Harriet in that moment in the sense that, you know, go ahead, I'm gonna make my day. She was scary and she thought she was protecting somebody who did not need protected. My friend confronting a mom that was scolding a child in a store, something every parent has to do at some point or another. Little Billy, little Tommy, little Susie, put that down. Mommy doesn't want to pay for that. Um, you know, because you'll break it, that kind of thing. Every parent has to do that. And my friend got out of control and he was defined by the thing that happened to him instead of saying, hey, this happened to me, but it won't define me. And uh, so had this lady gotten to that point, she had become dangerous and uh, she actually needed help and probably was to the point that she needed medication. I, I would say she definitely needed medication. She thought she was protecting somebody who didn't need protected. And I myself have experienced these things. I remember being 18 and um, I had a loved one who'd been molested and I had vowed, and this is where these things can become dangerous in our lives. <clears throat> I had promised God, myself, whomever, that I was not going to allow uh, anyone, anyone like a female to be harmed like that in my presence. And I came around a corner and I saw a, a young man in the store that I worked in this grocery store. He worked in this grocery store. A young lady worked in that grocery store. And I see him, he's got her pinned up against a shelf and he's groping her. And I instantly looked at the circumstances through my perspective glasses that I had that that every every woman was an innocent dove and a lot of guys were capable of being evil you know ravagers and I grabbed this kid spun him around and I had him by the windpipe I kind of I'm kind of embarrassed to even share the story I clutched him by the windpipe picked him up and I Darth Vader him into the shelf I literally just slammed him into the shelf and I'm choking him with one hand and you got to figure I'm 220 now and it's mostly muscle then I was probably like a buck 65, about the same height, but nowhere near as much muscle. Definitely was a twig back then. And anger and adrenaline, hate, rage was was fueling this. And the, uh, I let the guy go. I was like, don't ever touch her again. And then the Lord really showed me something. A few days later, um, she was walking down this aisle in a different part of the store. And I came around the corner and I watched her pass a different young man and she grabbed this young man in a let's just say an inappropriate way in public and he was like oh okay and he got down off the little little step stool thing he was on facing the the inventory on the shelves and began to follow her to the back she was initiating a sexual tryst at that very moment with a young man that was all but a perfect stranger 
I would say, unfortunately, that she had some abuse in her past or neglect because at her age, and I'm going to leave specific details out of it, but at her young age, for her to be doing these things, there was probably some kind of a, an abuse or a neglect. And she ended up pregnant at a very young age. And the Lord had showed me in that moment, not every young lady is a victim in that particular circumstance. And I'm, I'm not saying anything bad against her, um, but not every guy is a villain. And I began to realize I had some major forgiveness issues. Um, I was dealing with some post-traumatic stress uh, situations from things I had experienced and others had experienced. And I really needed to get a gut check look at my life. I did. And it, it was life changing. And so I was able to begin to go, okay, on the post-traumatic stress side, there's some, there's some forgiveness things and things I need to work through. We'll talk more about that in another episode. But also I was able to realize not only the, this may have happened to me or someone I care about, but it won't define me. But also I was able to look at and go, the survivor's guilt aspect of it, um, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. And that's Jeremiah 29, 11, one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. And, um, it's very meaty because God does have plans for us. And oftentimes through bad parenting, through bad relationships, through things we do to ourselves that we want to blame God for, we end up making a mess of our lives where someone else does. And we can choose to have a woe is me, this happened to me, it's going to dominate the rest of my life thought process. Or we can realize that counseling, friendships, the word of God, being in the right relationships with people in a church environment, having good friendships, having a great perspective on life, again, forgiveness, can have such a major impact on our lives. And what I hope happens with my ramblings today is people can go, wow, um, I'm just starting to realize some of the things that happened to me. That's what I hope happens where people go, I didn't realize how much I let this incident, this accident, this attack, this problem, this provocation, this abuse, this violence that came against me, that was done unto me, that I let it shape me, dominate my life, force my perspective. We've all seen, we've all seen an animal that was crippled from the time it was very young. And that's terrible. And if, if that, if that animal doesn't receive care, that can literally shape the rest of that animal's life. It'll life will always limp or whatever. And we don't want to be that person. Also, um, we've all seen the way that a tree like grows up against a wall or something, and then the, the wall will deteriorate and there's a hole in the tree and the tree is misshapen forever. We don't want to live our lives like that. Um, I would much rather be that guy that, that my roots go down into the rocks deep and I find the streams of water and all the nutrients. And I'm this tree that is very secure and behind it, you know, like an island, like a tree planted by the many waters. Uh, I would be able to create an island behind me that my family and maybe even friends could find rest and safety, that I would be able to protect them and maybe help guide them in my own broken, imperfect way. So I'm going to pray us out. Um, we've talked a little bit and touched on uh, a topic that's very, a couple topics, very near and dear to my heart, that being survivor's guilt and post-traumatic stress. There's definitely amazing things that can happen in counseling. I am not too proud to say that um, there's been times in my life that counseling has had an amazing impact on my life. And sometimes it's just being befriending the right person in your church who's got that background to be able to ask you the tough questions. And maybe it's not 
uh, maybe it's not formalized uh, in that uh, it's not formalized counseling, but it's lifestyle counseling where you're riding around with them doing stuff, helping them do ministry, and you're talking about real world situations and they give you things to think about, right? So I'm going to pray this episode out and I will talk to you in the next one. So dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for moments like these where we can talk about what we've come from and where you've taken us, Lord God. I lift this episode up. I ask that you bring it to the right ears, that it would bless the people who need to hear it. I ask that you would protect them supernaturally, the officers, Blue Family, and beyond that hear this episode, Lord God. I lift it up to you uh, that you begin to heal them in their lives now. If there are things that they are struggling with they need to hear, or maybe it's something that helps them to understand a loved one who struggles. I ask that you would supernaturally protect these officers, Lord God, that you'd cause the the enemy, the bad guy, the the villain, the criminal that goes to attack them, you'd cause them to stumble and literally to fall rather than being able to hurt these officers, that you would bend the bullets around these officers and keep them safe in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I will talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Beside the Badge podcast. Stay safe out there and be sure to subscribe and share this podcast. 